I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi everyone, welcome back to Saturday School. For today's episode, we're talking about a documentary slash mockumentary called The Heavenly Kings from 2006, and it's directed by the one and only Daniel Wu, who now you might recognize from his television show Into the Badlands, or he's going to be in the next Tomb Raider. But back then, he was a Chinese-American actor from San Francisco who had gone to Asia to try to kickstart his career. Is that right? And to model. And to model. So Brian, as someone who was aware of him and was following his career, do you remember hearing for the first time that Daniel Wu was going to be in a boy band? Yes. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So you're right. I was kind of a a fan of Daniel Wu's at the time. This is before he was considered a legitimate actor. No, I know. At at this point, I think he already won an award. But mostly at this point, he was just known as that ABC, the American-born Chinese who kind of hung out with the other ABCs, the Edison Chens, uh, the Nicholas Tays, and uh, who had terrible Chinese in all of his movies, but was that hunky, good-looking guy who always had his shirt off and his abs out. <laughs> good work, Daniel Wu. <laughs> as Heavenly King reminds us, he works hard. <laughs> so yeah, I followed his career. I was very fascinated by what a Asian-American can do in the Hong Kong film industry, in the Hong Kong entertainment industry more generally. And um, I always saw him as kind of like, we grew up in similar ways. We're both Chinese Americans, grew up in California. So I, being somebody who kind of thought that Canto Pop and all of its histrionics was pretty laughable, found it strange that Daniel Wu is now part of a boy band. But why not? But I do remember listening to the song. The song is called Adam's Choice. And thinking that it was not very good but I also remember thinking I was not surprised at all that this exists because of course any actor in the Hong Kong film ministry they're probably going to try singing at some point um, <laughs> so why not Daniel Wu did you know the other band members Terrence Yin Andrew Lin and Conroy Chan I did not I mean I knew who Terrence Yin was but it was such a Daniel Wu news event that I didn't even bother to look at who else was in the band, (laughs) which is lampooned in the film, Heavenly Kings. Yeah, it was just the Daniel Wu show, and he had a rap solo. I remember that. (laughs) It was like, this is not a good rap solo, but of course he's going to have a rap solo. He's from America. That's what all the American singers do at the time. This is like post LA Boys and Lee Home Wong and stuff. Was this during the time that Wong Lee Home was doing his chinked out music the second time? Potentially we're bringing that yeah, yeah, yeah. up. This is around the same time. Did Edison Chen do music? He was a rapper. Nicholas Tay is another example. David Tao, he was one of the originals. This 
was in the air, this idea that like these ABCs will just launch their music careers in Hong Kong, whether they have talent or not, but just because they're kind of cool, they got some kind of cosmopolitan air to them. <laughs> so, so this is also around the time when Daniel Wu was constantly in the gossip magazines because he didn't really abide by the rules of the entertainment industry quite as stringently as somebody who may have been born and raised in Hong Kong and bred through that system. What was he doing? He was going out to clubs a lot. So you would get a lot of newspaper articles of like, oh, Edison Chen was at the clubs with his buddies. Like Stephen Fung and, and all of them. Those bratty ABCs. Those bratty ABCs, always hanging out in LKF in Hong Kong. And then Daniel Wu's articles would be like, oh, he's been hanging out with Maggie Q. And then they were romantically linked for a while. I mean, obviously, we don't know whether to believe any of it. So his gossip persona, combined with his image in these films being the sculpted model type, <laughs> created an air of mystery around him. And this film shows he was so savvy about his own persona, and, but also about the, the mutability of his persona that maybe he can play a role in the creation of the Daniel Wu myth. And I guess that's what this boy band was, Alive, and the project around it, which is Heavenly Kings. Yes, so the Heavenly Kings documents this era, and we discover it was all a ruse. <laughs> it was just him and his friends messing around. Kind of like the Joaquin Phoenix Casey Affleck documentary, but four years earlier. This is the same year as Borat, too. So I would uh, add that... This is way more interesting than a mockumentary because it's actually a combination of three different kinds of documentary-esque types. So first of all, there is a real documentary about fake subjects, the real-life documentation of alive conning the city that they are a real boy band. So you'll have like real documentary footage of their fans going to their shows. And then you have the mockumentary side, which is fictionalized moments that are created for dramatic effects. Like the internal drama of the boy band, that is actually fictionalized, but to made to look like a documentary. You also have real documentary footage with real subjects. Interviews with actual members of the Hong Kong film industry like Jackie Chung and Nicholas Tay and Miriam Young, where they are genuinely and honestly talking about their opinions about the music industry. So it's three different kinds of documentary tones. Real documentary about real fake subject, real documentary about real subjects, and then mockumentary. So it's, it's really complex in the way it's reimagining what this format can do. I think this might be the only film in our series where I like the first half of it so much that it makes up for how dumb the second half is. Because <laughs> you know, our life is all about love. <laughs> You're not always sure if what you're seeing is real. Um, and then at, at some point, you just have to give up on trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And then you just kind of accept the critique instead of trying to constantly figure out what is real or not. Do you remember that boy band called Together to Get Her? No, what's that? They were the original fake boy band on MTV. So it's called Together, but it's the way it's spelled out looks like to get her. Oh, creepy. <laughs> Their song was called You Plus Me Equals Us. Parentheses, it's like calculus. Uh, no. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did I like just block this out of my memory? They were a legitimate band that was winking at the audience the whole time. Oh, I don't remember this at all. So Alive was, it's like that, except they did not tell the audience that this is fake. But that's sort of the genius of Alive. For Alive, they realized Hong Kong doesn't even need to be in on the joke. Uh, because for Alive, the audience is part of the problem. So that's part of the critique, which is that you have audience members who only care about the fact that there's a couple of good-looking guys in here, and they have no musical talents. The songs are all auto-tuned. And are you still going to buy this? Like, that's the joke. So it's actually really daring for Daniel Wu, like you said, an established star, to potentially alienate his fan base by telling them, you can be so easily swindled by fakery. 
But anyway, so it's a combination of uh, mocking these fake boy bands, but also it's it's a little bit of a nod to the real Heavenly Kings. Yeah, so this was in the, the 90s. The big four Hong Kong singers were Andy Lau, Jackie Chung, Aaron Kwok, and Leon Lai. They were just called the four Heavenly Kings of the Hong Kong music industry. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the fun of watching Having Like Kings, a documentary, because it's a very specific Hong Kong pop scene that they're mocking. Like the Aaron Kwok costumes, the super glittery, flamboyant, audacious, <laughs> sequiny costumes. And they also like, they talk about how strange it is for them to do the music videos that are expected of them. The song it sounds a little bit like Black Eyed Peas Where's the Love, but without any of the pop charm to it. And without like the uh, sense of like this song's gonna bring people together, like that, those kind of ambitions. Adam's Choice, which the title is great, like it's it's such a stupid, nonsensical title, Adam's Choice. And uh, the the lyrics are just typical boys wanna wanna be in love with you music. And then when you watch the film and you actually watch them record the song, it makes total sense. Like it was not sung well to begin with, and then it was auto-tuned into pop perfection, but that is still kind of sterile, and that's that's what it sounds like. Yeah, there's moments in the beginning that are funny, because while they're trying to create their band and see if it's feasible, they go karaokeing, as if that's a good testament to how well they can sing. And there's a moment where they realize only one of them can sing. Only Terrence can sing. And he, Did he really have a failed pop career? Yes. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> so he he kind of plays a character who did have an album but just it just didn't really go that well it was packaged in a way that he didn't like and it was just a bad experience but in this storyline his friends are enticing him to make another go of it his history of being miffed by the entertainment industry that weighs down on him as a character and that that adds to the drama of do i really want to do this again do i see myself slipping into something i don't want to be again that's really clever, like the way that they in, in, integrate. Um, they integrate true backgrounds of these actors, but to an extent in which we're not sure whether to believe it or not. Yeah, that's like the weird thing. I think in the very beginning, it's a little bit harder to tell what's real and what's not real. And then the second half, because it's so VH1 behind the music-y, but way dramatized, then it's just obvious it's all fake. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a lot of acting in the movie. All four of them are actors, but I will have to give credits to the wonderful Andrew Lin <laughs> in this film. <laughs> He is so hilarious in this movie. And I, I don't know anything about Andrew as a, like, what his star persona is, what he's like in real life. But he's so spot on in, like, defining a character. His character is just, like, he knows he's not as big a star as Daniel Wu or even Terrence Yen. And he understands that this could be his big break. He's always in character. <laughs> like, so when the camera just cuts away to him, he always looks really lost and scared. I, I He must be acting because it's, it's too perfect. Do you want to say anything about how this is an Asian-American film? Yeah, it's directed by an Asian American. It, it, it is, but <laughs> is that not enough? Well, I think it's. It, I feel like it speaks to that trend that you're talking about of Asian Americans going to Asia, and that's the thing, right? Um, it's this idea that over here our Americanness is questioned, but if we go to Asia, our Americanness is front and center. But also, their Chineseness is questioned. Oh yeah. But somehow. Because they're foreign, I think it also adds their ability to get away with anything. Yeah. That may, may, like the audience might just feel like, oh, well, this is maybe just what they do in the U.S. Or this is they can get away with this in the U.S. So let them get away with that here. Yeah, that's a very specific Asian American expat experience. Yeah. Daniel Wu getting away with something in Hong Kong that maybe a polished superstar shouldn't be doing. Where like everything about you needs to be perfectly sculpted not just your abs and as we know the only thing perfectly sculpted about daniel is his abs 
<laughs> we can't help ourselves. <laughs> we can't. Hey, we, he does it to himself. Every movie he's in, he's got a shirtless moment. <laughs> this film, I remember it played at CamFest, or then the San Francisco International Asian American Film Festival. That's when I first met him. You met him? What did you guys talk about? We met on the street. We were introduced by maybe Martin from Giant Robot. Oh, okay. So fancy. When I met him, this is just some dude that I could have grown up with, just taller and better looking. I saw him on a panel at the San Francisco International Asian American Film Festival. And yeah, he came up kind of like in jeans and a baseball cap. Yep, that's how I saw him too. But that was such a great, important moment, at least for me, like as an observer of Asian American media, because I think we always thought of these as two separate tracks. There is the struggling independent Asian American artist track where you make low budget feature length films or short films. And then there is the other side, the glamour side, where you can become the biggest star in Hong Kong one of the largest entertainment industries in the world uh, as an Asian American. And so it always seemed like those two things could never come together. And it all came together with Heavenly Kings because he brought that sort of Asian American independent cinema spirit to doing something in Hong Kong that was still about stardom and glamour in Hong Kong. So for me, like when that film was shown in the United States at Asian American Film Festival, that's to me when those two worlds seemed to be finally talking to each other. Yeah, and I think as people who covered Asian American pop culture during that time, we were definitely looking at these folks because there's always all this talk about how in Hollywood they can't cast like the big Asian stars because their English isn't good enough. And then we were always thinking, well, what about these guys abroad like Daniel Wu, Daniel Henney, maybe Wong Lee Home, you know, all of those guys who were making it big abroad. So you knew that they had some talent and they had some acting skills. Like, when are they going to come back? <laughs> you know, like, and it took forever. Well, I, I think it has to do with what I was talking about earlier, where the landscape changed in Hong Kong. Now that it became about breaking into the mainland, suddenly these overseas folks who barely spoke Chinese, they sort of lost their appeal. Like, could you imagine Edison Chen, who was the biggest star in Hong Kong, like, end sentence. Could you imagine him being a star in the mainland China? No. <laughs> yeah, like, like, it just doesn't make any sense right now. For multiple reasons. <laughs> for, for multiple reasons. But I think those are all relevant reasons. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because that's the persona that just seems like outside of the moral boundaries of what is acceptable for an entertainer in mainland China. Today. Things might change. But I think that that was also a reason why like a kind of pull or a push, push factor for uh, a lot of these ABC stars to come back to North America to, to, to give it a go here. You think that was it? You don't think like in some ways they may have just preferred to be here but just had no opportunities? There's definitely that too, um, because I'm sure a lot of them still see Hollywood as where they can make the biggest impact and where they can reach the biggest audience. But very few of them have done that. Daniel Wu's example is one of the few. And then Maggie Q, Lee Home isn't coming back to the U.S. It's not the Hong Kong film industry, but I'm thinking of like Daniel Henney. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. And to a certain extent, I mean, even though she's not American, I think Priyanka Chopra... I mean, it's not about like Asian Americanness, but it's just this idea of like stars oh. that are big in Asia. If their English is good, they can become stars in Hollywood. I think that's a very, very recent phenomenon. You know, I, I bet Wong Lee Home, if he had a, he he kind of did. Like he did a Ridley Scott movie. Yes, yeah. I don't know. I see it more like Hollywood finally figured it out whenever Into the Badland and Quantico happen. Yeah, and it's also Hollywood realizing how important the international market is. Yeah. That this is this is their way to diversify their own content to make it more sellable around the world. I mean, we'll see how Tomb Raider does. But yeah. I mean, it just sort of, I feel like it's one of those things that for us as Asian Americans seem very obvious. There was just this like glass ceiling that was never broken. 
Yeah, to me it's still not broken, still, but maybe there are little chips in there, and Daniel Gu's example, I think, is one of those chips. Yeah, definitely. So, throughout the film, there are constant references to a website called AliveNotDead.com. I assume because Alive.com was taken, but AliveNotDead.com is also, like, it's perfectly nonsensical like alive not dead like it's redundant <laughs> in a way that's it's almost like bad hong kong english but it's also very very winky like so that was their official band uh, website yes so um after the end of alive alive not dead takes on another meaning that's even though the band no longer exists what is still alive and what can we still do and how can this be a springboard for not fake entertainment not fake artistry but real artistry and this became a website, partly social media site, but partly like a platform for established artists to interact with their fans. So this is like in the early ages of Facebook and Instagram being used for artists to interact with their fans. So it just became a network of folks who are working in China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, as well as throughout the Chinese diaspora and also beyond, like even non-Chinese people. But it was primarily run by Asian Americans and spearheaded by Asian Americans who understood the important connections between North America, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Beijing, Shanghai. And um, so one of the producers of Heavenly Kings is Patrick Lee who is probably best known for being a founder of Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, yeah. I think he was one of the people instrumental in AliveNotDead.com from being a fan site for a fake band into a real website for real artists and a real social media marketing and interaction tool. And also a way for people who aren't artists or aspiring artists to create their own accounts and interact with the artists that they want to network with or that they are fans of. Did you have an Alive Not Dead account? <laughs> I, yes. Yes, I did. I think I did it for research purposes for when I was writing my dissertation. Quote, unquote, research purposes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I remember like a lot of the Chinese-American folks who were trying to break into the industry, they all had accounts on AliveNotDead.com. And I find it sort of similar to what happened with finishing the game. The website for finishing the game was You Offend Me, You Offend My Family. And that ended up turning into a, a website that kind of lived on beyond the life of the film. And became a place for real conversations to be had about the themes that were in the film. And so, so today, we don't even think about yamamiyaf.com having anything to do with Justin Lin's film. That's but true. It, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, but, but like these, these films live on as springboards for other kinds of conversation. And it's a reminder that the creativity that goes into the stories and the characters of these, of these films sort of live on in different ways. And then that the conversations are still thriving today. <laughs> Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. We have a Tiny Letter newsletter you can sign up for to get lecture notes. Tinyletter.com slash Saturday School Podcast. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Class dismissed.
It's the choice between the sequin cowboy <laughs> outfit or the midriff <laughs> sailor suit. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> or the top hats. <laughs> so dumb. It's kind of like they went to the Goodwill. The Goodwill of Hong Kong pop stars. The Goodwill of Hong Kong pop stars and then found extra large versions of the shiniest thing there. <laughs> A few of them are the extra small versions. 